Please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. And it reads, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised through the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Thank you. Well, I'm delighted to be with you today. It's always a privilege for me to be with you in worship and to uh, talk about the greatest book in all the world, and that's our Bible. And I always enjoy that. I never get tired of reading and studying the Bible and talking about it with others who are like-minded, who are interested in it and want to know more about what it says. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you, and we're always encouraged by your presence. We urge you to come back and be with us once again. I hope you see how kind and concerned we are about you and your soul's well-being. If you're having questions with regard to your soul, your condition, your life, let's talk it over and let's study what the Bible says about the matter. And then let's you and I decide we're going to do what the Bible says because the Bible is always right. We're very grateful. I want to thank these men who've led us in our singing. What beautiful singing we've had today. The prayers, thank you for the prayers and those who have led us in the fine way of leadership in our worship, we're very grateful. This is a powerful passage, isn't it? It's a, a verse that talks about a warfare. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. It talks about a war within. I'd like to talk a, about that with you today. What the Bible has to say that goes on on the inside of us. Before I actually talk about winning that war on the inside, I ask myself the question, why did Paul write that to begin with? Why was he addressing these matters? And I'd have to say that there's specific reason for this. Paul was always concerned about the church at Corinth. It was a difficult congregation that had problems. So our third missionary journey letter here, 2 Corinthians. It was written a couple of months after 1 Corinthians. Paul's concerned about the church, so he sends Timothy down there. He says, you meet me in Ephesus, but I want to know how the church at Corinth is doing. There Timothy comes back with a good report. He says, I want to tell you, the church at Corinth has received your letter. They're responding properly to it. Paul sent Titus down there. He told Titus, he said, I want you to meet me in Macedonia. I'm going to leave Ephesus, go to Macedonia. You go down to Corinth and see how the church is doing down there. How's everything going? I'm concerned about them. I want to know how things are taking place. He writes these particular matters, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, about verse 12. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me, in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. You read about the matter in chapter 7 
2 Corinthians, where brings the matter up again. Verse 5, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted in every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still more. When Titus brought the report back, it was a good report. The church of Corinth is listening to the word of God. The church of Corinth heard your message, and they're responding properly to it. First part of 2 Corinthians chapters 1 through 7 defends Paul's mission and his work as a minister among them. This is how I did it. This is why I did it. And he speaks to that particular matter. Then in chapters 8 and 9, he brings up the matter of the giving. And there's, this is the longest and the most lengthy passage on our contribution and our giving that we have. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 9. By the time he gets to chapter 10, which is our study today, he's addressing the problems at uh, Corinth. There are men there who will not accept the teaching of God's Word, and they are trying to undermine the influence of the Apostle Paul. We need to deal with this. We need to help them understand the error of their way. We need to give instruction to the faithful there at Corinth so that they'll remain faithful and firm and steadfast because we are involved in a battle. There is a war within And we've got to win this war. Now, this war that I'm talking about, Paul says, in the third section of 2 Corinthians, is not a physical battle. It's not something of physical armaments, and it's not something of a physical type of a nature. It's a spiritual battle that goes on on the inside of us. And we've got to win this spiritual battle. And he's reasoning with the troublemakers, that circumcision faction that's causing problems at Corinth. He's dealing more directly with them. And he's talking about the church there and admonishing the church in chapters 1 through 7 and in chapters 8 and verse 9. But now by the time he gets to chapter 10, he's dealing directly with the problems and the troublemakers in the congregation. He said, I want to tell you something. We're facing a great battle. And the battle's going on in our hearts. It's going on in our lives. There's a great battle out there, and we're facing a great foe. And that great foe is Satan himself, and we've got to be able to defeat him. Now, that's a metaphor that helps us understand, in a very clear way, the spiritual conflict that goes on on the inside of each of us. Now, we're familiar with battles out there. Battles are part of our history. War is a part of our culture and our time. The physical attacks which take place while we try to destroy their munitions and their headquarters. We go after the aggressive forces, the guerrilla groups and the crack troops. We want to go after them and minimize them. We take the enemy captive. And these are things that we understand in our day and time, that we want to go after the wicked, after the enemy, and eliminate the enemy and bring them to justice and avenge ourselves upon them. And Paul said, we got a spiritual battle going on inside of each of us. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy 
strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish. There's that avenging. Every disobedience when your obedience is complete. It is a spiritual warfare that we must fight and win. Now, the Bible, in a wonderful way, talks about things like this. Sometimes it talks about the historical aspects of Old Testament times and New Testament times. But then there are times when it really gets down to where we live. And it begins to discuss us as we really are. And you know, James said, it's like a mirror. When you look in that mirror of the Word of God, you're seeing yourself reflected. And the Bible, by inspiration, has a wonderful way of capturing in word form what's going on on the inside of me. And it knows me because God knows me. God created me. He knows what's going on on the inside of me. And He's giving me information. And He's giving me help to overcome the battle that goes within. Every person in this auditorium today knows what I'm talking about. Every person in this auditorium today understands something about the battle that's going on within us where we want to do the right thing, we've been taught to do the right thing, and then we do the wrong thing. And it's a battle back and forth, and we wonder, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I act that particular way? I don't understand sometimes why I do the things I do out of neglect or just out of ignorance or or just rebellion. Sometimes there's a battle that goes on with me, but I've got to win this battle. The Bible is telling me I can do it. And here's how. You've got to destroy the strongholds. Now, the strongholds are kind of a fort. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. King James says, pulling down of strongholds. It's a fortress. It's something that's out there against me. Waging war. Satan is a powerful spiritual enemy. You know, we just have to say it like it is. Satan doesn't fight fair. He's going to do whatever he can to tempt me, to violate me, to try to encourage me to be weak and to do the things that I should not do. Those temptations stand out there. The temptation that I face may not be a temptation for you at all. The temptation that you face may not be a temptation for me at all. It may not be a battle in my life, my spiritual life at all for me. You know, the body, just as illustration, has a wonderful immune system. And some of you really understand that very well. I don't understand it that well. But it's, I'm grateful that God created it and, and gave us that kind of designed body because it fights on the inside against the enemies trying to destroy my body. That's a wonderful thing. God is, only God could have created a human being. Could not have evolved over long periods of time. It's absurd. Only God created. God created from the dust of the ground, breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. God created this wonderfully designed, intelligent individual. And part of that wonderful design is this immunization system that fights for me on the inside to keep the germs, to keep the bad part out of my life. And spiritually speaking, Paul is saying that's what you've got to do. 
You're going to have to tear down the stronghold. You've got to tear down the evil, the temptation that comes your way. You've got to say no to it emphatically, whatever it might be. It could be lust of the eye. It could be that what I see is bringing me down and I'm losing that battle. And I've got to pull down, destroy that stronghold. Whatever I have to do, I better be doing it. We live in a sin-sick, sin-saturated world. The internet, television, movies, the media that we read, it is a sin-saturated world. We've got to come to understand that fact. And we've got to realize there's a battle going on in between what is right and what is wrong. And the stakes are our souls. And we've got to say no to that stronghold. We've got to pull it down. Whatever it is, if that's leading you astray, get rid of it. Get rid of it and get it out of your life. Maybe, just maybe the stronghold I'm facing... Warring against my soul's malice. And it could very well be that I have an evil intent against another person or another group. And that malice continues to build up in my heart and build up in my life. And I'm waging a war over this particular matter. Perhaps I've been wronged. Perhaps I've been talked to in the wrong way. Perhaps I've been defrauded. Perhaps I've been mistreated in this way or that way. They shouldn't have done that to me. They shouldn't have talked that way to me. And malice begins to build in my heart. It's a stronghold that begins to confront me. And now I'm waging a war inside of me. I've got to overcome the malice. I've got to tear it down. And I cannot live according to God and give in to that kind of sinful attitude toward others. Sometimes the stronghold that needs pulling down is fear. And I'm fearful. Revelation 21 and 8 talks about the fearful. And I don't have the faith in God that I really have and the confidence in God that the Bible teaches. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And I I just hadn't been studying the Word of God and I grow in fear. Lord, save us from this sea. It's about to destroy us. Oh, ye of little faith, don't forget who's in the boat. The master's in the boat. There's no need for the fear, but sometimes the fear is a problem we wrestle with. Ignorance of God's Word might be the stronghold that really is pulling you down, that really is a problem for you, and you're not really the faithful child of God you ought to be, living the kind of Christian life you ought to live, because you just don't know, you haven't studied, you've been derelict in duty, and you haven't learned the Word of God. Haven't devoted yourself to this teaching and the study of the Word of God like you really should. A stronghold is up there against me. It's a fort against me, and it's waging war within me. Oh, there are a lot of other things I'd like to be doing. Yes, but I know that I need to study God's Word and grow by faith, by learning more about God's Word. And the conflict wages inside and wages inside. And I cannot allow that to continue to go on. Paul says, pull it down, destroy the strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5. Whatever the problem might be, do not allow that to take charge of your life. 
In the book of James, James chapter 4, James writes about the very matter. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. He says when you, you don't pray enough, you don't pray like you should. When you do pray, you don't pray with sincerity. The reason that you have the problems and the difficulties that you're facing, because of the war that's going on within you. You've got to pull down the strongholds and destroy that which faces you, tempting you to do something other than what God has clearly taught in the pages of the Bible. So much of the New Testament talks about this battle that goes on within. And now the Bible is talking about Paul dealing directly with the troublemakers at Corinth. This is what you need to do. You need to win the battle, the war that's going on within. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. In Ephesians chapter 3 you have this powerful verse in verse 13. And in this chapter I always like to talk about the context. And it takes me an extra minute or two. But I feel that when we just read a verse in isolation and don't see why it was given and, and what the background to it was, and we're going to lose the impact of the verse. And Paul is saying, you know, God has given me the mystery. And the mystery is that God wants all men everywhere to be in His church. And I'll tell you what, you can understand the mystery too if you read what I am writing to you. Ephesians chapter 3, and he says in verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being. Verse 16. The power is given through the Word of God. And through a study of the Word of God, I can receive the strength that I need to win the battle. More will be said about that in a minute. Notice with me in Ephesians chapter 6. Be strong in the Lord, verse 10, and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. Isn't this a beautiful passage? And he looks upon that Roman soldier that he's chained to, a prison epistle, remember. And he begins to draw parallels and similarities between that and the Christian life. But what made me think of this is that I can be strong in the Lord and I can pull down that stronghold that's up there against me. Stronghold means fort. That's what's setting itself up against me and the will of God and doing the will of God. And it is causing me to lose the battle within if I don't do something about it. And Paul says, you've got to pull it down. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. And that's what made me think of Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 6. To destroy strongholds, we can pull them down, whatever the temptation, whatever the malady might be with regard to the war within in your soul, Bring it down. Now it tells me in verse 5, I've got to cast down imaginations. 
We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. In this particular passage, he's talking about destroying the imaginations, destroying the things that we set ourselves up to do. Set ourselves up in verse 5 to think about these particular matters and let them destroy us and take advantage of us. Sometimes we think only children can imagine. This imagination that he makes reference to, casting down imaginations, isn't that a wonderful capacity that the human being has? A human being, and only a God-created human being, has the ability to imagine. You know what I can imagine? I can imagine a beautiful blue lagoon on white sandy beaches with palm trees and puffy white clouds and seabirds flying and the sunlight. Me and a fishing pole out there in that beautiful blue lagoon. Isn't that a beautiful imagination? Sometimes we think only children imagine. They imagine themselves as being a superstar. Or they imagine themselves as being the president. Or something like that. But we as adults imagine as well. And it's a wonderful quality and ability that God has given us. A power to try to change reality into another concept in our minds. And we think that particular way. But an imagination can also go awry. And just as an imagination can think of a beautiful, relaxing scene, we can allow our imaginations to go in the wrong way. We can allow our imaginations to think of the vile and the wicked and that which should not be. And the Bible is saying, now cast those imaginations down. Those things that you think of, those things that you create in your mind, you cast them down and you destroy them because they're opposed to the will of God and the mind of God. If you will, turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And you see in Romans chapter 1 some of the things that man has imagined for himself. And there's a very wicked description of man. But if you'll notice, it's also a very modern description of man. Even though it was written in the long ago in the first century, still it is very appropriate that modern man read these particular sins and this listings of sins because of what he has imagined and what he's done, I'll pick out chapter 1, verse 20. You follow along with me. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so that they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their own hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now you read on down through that first chapter. 
But he's talking about how man's imagination has gone awry. And man has allowed that to happen. And man began to think about things and do things and believe things that really he should not have done. And you know why? It all came about as a result of having the wrong view of God. Go back up there to about verse 18. In Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God. Now, you know, that's not a very appropriate thing to talk about in this day and time. The wrath of God is certainly not something that a self-absorbed society wants to talk about. But let me assure you, the wrath of God is a very biblical concept. Whether it be the Old Testament or the New Testament, the Bible talks about God's wrath. And don't get confused with the idea that the wrath of God is somehow analogous to our temper tantrums and our, self, our lack of self-control. Sometimes our wrath is kind of explosive and impulsive, but that's not with the wrath of God. No, the wrath of God comes upon the wicked and the disobedient. But it's only after a great deal of patience and long-suffering and instruction and encouragement. And then the sinner gets his due. And you know what? There's no denying it. Just look at the storms out there in this world and the power of the storm. We were watching Weather Channel yesterday and a powerful tornado goes through Oklahoma. And it was talking about that some years ago when that happened. I was on a lectureship. Uh, on one occasion, preacher from Oklahoma got up there. He said, we lost 10,000 homes in one night. Isn't that something? Power of that storm. And I'm not saying that God caused that. I'm not saying that God did that to them. I'm not saying that God punished them in that regard. That's not the point at all. But when I see great storms like that, I think about the great wrath of God. It's nothing compared to the wrath of God. 10,000 homes last night just destroyed like that. In one night, that's nothing compared to the wrath of God. History talks about the wrath of God, how that mighty nations have been brought up, but yet God has brought them down. The cross of Jesus Christ teaches us a lot about the wrath of God and the problem of sin, how that God sent His Son into the world, but yet He gave His Son for the sins of the world, but yet that sin had to be atoned for. Man now has hope for obtaining eternal life through faithful obedience to the Word of God and God's amazing grace. Prophecies about the end of time. Just go to the book of Revelation and think about the wrath of God and it will help you and help me cast down the bad imaginations that we create in our heart and in our mind and it'll help us win the battle inside. There's a war going on inside of me. And it's a war that's not a physical war, it's a spiritual war. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, verse 4, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, to destroy arguments, and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And to take every thought captive to obey Christ. Got to capture every thought. You know, God's not only concerned about what we do, He's concerned about how we think. He's concerned about what's going on on the inside. 
And we've got to take every thought captive. That means we've got to discipline ourselves. We've got to discipline the way we live. We've got to discipline the way we think because there's a war going on inside of me and I don't want to lose this war. My soul's at stake. I've got to capture every thought. Now, if you're in a physical battle, you understand what that means. You go out and you take care of the enemy army. You capture them. And you find direction and focus. And the army is very focused on obtaining this objective of, of accomplishing this. You go out and you capture the enemy. You take them captive. The Bible tells us we must be doing that. You know, I never met the man, but I admired him greatly. His name's Alvin York. Alvin York was a great American. He was a great Tennessean. Lived up there at Pall Mall, Tennessee. I preached meetings up there at Pall Mall. A place called Jamestown. The locals call it Jimtown. I like the ring of that. Jimtown, Tennessee. Just out of Jimtown, Tennessee is a place called Pall Mall. And there Alvin York's buried. Most decorated war hero of the First World War. He'd captured 132 German soldiers. He captured them. They gave him the Distinguished Service Cross, but then when they went back and reinvestigated the details and all that York was able to do there by himself, they gave him the Congressional Medal of Honor. York's men were pinned down. Men higher in rank than him had already been killed. He now was the highest ranking, and I think that was a corporal or something like that. And so he tells the remaining men, stay with what we've captured and I'm going up there against that machine gun nest. And a German officer unloaded all the rounds that he had at York and missed him every time. York had killed six of the enemy, and so the German officer surrendered to him. And he brought 132 soldiers down off that hill, saving the rest of his group and his men. Citizens of Tennessee were so moved by the sacrifice and dedication of this great American they pooled their funds together and bought a farm for Sergeant York. I've been to that farm. I've been to his grave. I've been to him and Gracie's grave there in Palm Isle, Tennessee. He was a member of the Church of Christ in Union is what they called it up there. I've never preached for them. I preached for the Church of Christ in Jamestown, Tennessee, and just outside of Palm Mall. Talked to the York family and visited with them on different occasions. He captured the enemy. Paul is saying in a physical, spiritual way, you've got to capture every thought. Now, that's not easy. Now, what York did was not easy either. But what we've got to do every single day is bring into capture the bad thoughts. We've got to discipline ourselves. You're going to say, okay, Jim, <coughs> how am I supposed to do that? Well, here's how we do it. Number one, we have got to love the truth. Now, we've got to do more than just talk about that. We've got to love it. We've got to love the truth when we hear it proclaimed. We've got to love the truth when we hear it taught. We've got to love the truth when we speak about it toward others. We've got to truly, genuinely have a love for the Word of God and a love for the truth. When we love the truth, it will help us capture the thoughts, the enemy thoughts that are bringing us down. We've got to, secondly, obey the truth. We've got to do it. We can talk, talk, talk. And sometimes I think we talk too much. 
We need to devote ourselves to the doing of the matter rather than just the talking of the matter. We've got to talk about it, but then we've got to do it. And then there's a third thing. We've got to be totally committed to it. How am I going to capture these thoughts? I love the truth. I'm going to obey that truth. I'm going to be committed to that truth. Paul would say in Philippians chapter 1 and 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm amazed at the man's commitment. And I read about it and I say, wow, what faith and dedication the man had. He's so committed to the truth. He's capturing every evil thought and he's throwing it down. He's winning the battle inside and it's a constant battle all the days of his life and it's a constant battle all the days of our life. But I've got to win it and I can win it when I lean upon the truth of God's Word, the Bible. There's another thought that's given. I've got to punish every disobedience. Verse 6. Did you notice what he said there? Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. To punish that or to avenge that. I've given you something already, the context of 2 Corinthians. And he's saying in that regard to the troublemakers at the church at Corinth, he says, now you need to repent of this and you need to make application. Be subordinate to the will of God. And there in turn truly be happy. How can I avenge this? But my continual study and faithful Christian life, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And so he's looking at them and said, this is what you need to do. And when Paul is saying that to them, I see he's got a finger pointed at me and I'm saying, I need this help to fight the battle within me. I got a battle that's going on within me, but the Bible is giving me information that will help me in this particular regard. And I've got to ask myself the question, you going to win this battle or not? Are we going to win it? Are we going to rely upon the will of God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace of God Almighty to win a battle here? Or are we just going to go throughout life and just be kind of like the, the ball in the machine where it goes up and hits that and bounces off and hits that and bounces over here and hits that? Or are we going to, with commitment, win a war that's going on within me? It's possible for me to do it with the grace of God and the Word of God and my obedient faith in Jesus Christ. I can win the war within. Now, I have to ask myself that question very carefully, and you ask that question to yourself very carefully. And in a very objective way, you say, I'm not winning this. I got some improvements that I need to make. That's a good first step. Let's start making those improvements. Let's repent of those sins. Let's repent of those problems. And let's get our life back on track and get it on focus and start winning the battle that's going on within me so that Satan will not have this soul. Here's a soul Satan's not going to have because I am going to win the battle within and be a more faithful child of God. If you're not a child of God, you need to repent of your sins. And you need to confess your faith in Christ and be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Immersed in water, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, for the purpose of receiving forgiveness. The Lord adds you to His church. People who have problems living life and need God's help 
and have come to see, here's the answer. Jesus Christ the righteous and His Word. And we're going to help each other win the battle within. If you're not a child of God, become one. Repent of your sins. Change your life. And get rid of the sin that is besetting you. And confess your faith and be baptized, immersed in water, as the Bible teaches and commands. And I urge you to do it now. Won't you come? While together we stand and while we sing.